This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass, powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler, joined to my right... The return, hey, us for the first time here in 2024, it That's is right. Ryan Shumpert. Good morning, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Glad to glad to be back on. Obviously, you guys did a good job of uh, holding everything down uh, in Orlando for the Citrus Bowl and for this conversation, most notably the podcast. So glad to, glad to be back on as we put a little bit of a bow on football season and get going with uh, basketball entering SEC play. Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about the whole crossover season. That is November, that is December, but with the bowl game now in the rearview mirror, all signs point to basketball season coming up and in pretty good timing as well. SEC play starts this Saturday, which is tomorrow at the time that we are recording this right now. Good morning, everybody. It's Friday, January 5th, by the way, but SEC play starts up this Saturday night. Rick Barnes and the Tennessee Volunteers will host Chris Beard and the Ole Miss Rebels. Chris Beard was actually supposed to be back in Knoxville last year when yeah. he was the coach of Texas. Obviously, all the uh, just all the commotion and and the what do you off, even off the court off the court uh, drama there yeah, you go. arrest the the incidents ensuing, the arrest the drama suspension and termination yes all that basically forced uh, the Texas uh, Texas's hands to move to the interim coach who, who Rick Barnes had a long relationship with so anyways. Chris Beard, supposed to make his Thompson Bowling Arena, I guess maybe debut. I don't know if he's been there probably before. Probably debut. Probably At least head, debut. head coaching debut, I think. Yeah, I think you're right there. So either way, he comes back to Knoxville coming up this Saturday night as Tennessee kicks off SEC play. Number 5 Tennessee versus number 22 Ole Miss. Should be a good one, but hey, right back here in time for it. Yeah, exactly. And it's one that I don't think anybody really highlighted before the season just because – you know, obviously, I think everybody expected Ole Miss maybe to be a little bit better in Chris Beard's first season. There were a lot of questions about which of their transfers would get eligible and which wouldn't. And the ones that didn't get eligible have gotten eligible in the last, I guess that's been a couple weeks now since the uh, court ruling kind of knocked down the NCAA's only one-time free transfer rule, which we'll kind of get to in a minute as that has some ramifications on Tennessee football as well. Um, but an Ole Miss team that's 13-0 and that comes in is uh, in the AP poll, I think the third highest ranked uh, SEC team and AP people. The statistics or the analytics sites aren't quite as high on them, but it should be uh, certainly an exciting start to SEC play and uh, I guess the second top 25 matchup of the year at Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center. That's right, Thompson Bowling Arena Food City Center going to be a good one and then obviously SEC play is just going to be a lot of fun this year. It's going to be a good conference with a lot of great matchups as we continue on but we got plenty to talk about today we got a little bit of football a little bit of basketball we got lots going on on the radar um but how was your break how, how was kind of everything here in the middle christmas time new year's yeah everything was great we got to spend some time back home with some family and that was uh, good as always got back uh, to knoxville and in time to uh cover the citrus bowl remotely and then uh obviously the norfolk state game on Tuesday night, I guess. That was the second. Yeah, that was uh, January 2nd. So uh, it was all good, but uh, glad to kind of be back in the rhythm of things, too. 35-0 to win over Iowa in the Citrus Bowl. Ryan, I got to read your great articles about it. You had a lot of great post-game content, uh, but we haven't really talked about it in person yet, no. even on the phone, which is kind of, uh, again, I read all your stuff, but what are just kind of your overall thoughts of that game, how it went, and then, of course, uh, what pretty much everybody has been wanting to talk about the last five, six days, whatever it's been, 
quarterback Nico Iamaliava. Yeah, I th- well, I think it's he's obviously the headliner. I think when you talk about the game itself and why it unfolded the way it did, it starts with Tennessee's defense and how dominant they were, which you know goes right hand in hand with how you know just hapless or, or excuse me Iowa's offense was in that game and uh, they. Second drive of the game, what Tennessee has kind of gets backed up with some penalties, is a bad punt. Iowa starts to drive Tennessee's 45, and it's, you know, Iowa's offense has to kind of capitalize on those opportunities when they get good field position because it's just so hard for them to create chunk plays or to go right. 80 yards at a time. And that's exactly what it looked like they would do. They picked up a couple third down conversions, they got down first and goal at the three, uh, turned into, I think, third and goal maybe at the four even. Uh, and then that's when. Deacon Hill just made a really bad mistake throwing that interception. It was also a really good catch by Andre Turrentine, but it's obviously a bad decision too. <laughs> a terrible decision. And I'm sure this is where you're going with it, but not only was Gabe Judy Lolly trailing the play right there on his hip, that was the guy who was coming over with him, but Andre Turrentine kind of takes that zone yeah. in the middle of the field. He, he drops back to you know basically cover that receiver, pass catcher, whoever it was throwing it right into double coverage right there in the middle of the back of the end zone. I mean, it was a it was a, a, a concerning throw, to say the least. Certainly. And Tennessee, you know, it was one of really the few plays that felt like that game in pure, easy, or, you know, clear passing situations. Deacon Hill wasn't really pressured. Uh, he had a clean pocket when he made that decision. But all that to say, that was the second drive of the game. It was 0-0 at that point. I wouldn't cross midfield again until it was 28-0. Uh, so... It, it just from that point on, you know, Tennessee's offense did enough to put the pressure on Iowa, and Iowa's offense was just never going to be able to overcome that. And then, you know, early in the second half when Tennessee's offense had stalled out a little bit, and James Pierce, who I thought was the best player on the field, as he was for a lot of Tennessee games this year, made two massive plays to put the game away. He has the strip sack that gave Tennessee, you know, first and goal, I think, at the three-yard line. Uh, Nico Yamaliava ran it in on a bootleg to make it 21-0. Then the next drive, it looked like Iowa was going to get across midfield. They got in a third down conversion, which put them in first and 10, I think, at like their own 48. They needed two, three yards. First play, James Pierce picked six right after that. So James Pierce was fantastic. Um, and, and I guess that, you know, just how dominant Tennessee's defense was. I thought Tyree West had a good game, too. As a whole, the young defensive backs, you know, handled themselves well or, you know, held up well. But, you know, a lot of that just kind of goes into Iowa's lack of a passing game. So those were kind of my non-Nico or at least my defensive thoughts on the game for Tennessee. Yeah, it was funny. You know, Pierce kind of – he almost looked like a, like a defensive back there in that play. Kind of baited him a little bit and then was able to make the jump. And he had great anticipation on that play, able to go make the catch and then just absolutely take off down the sideline. Nobody was going to catch him as he ran that ball into the end zone for a Tennessee score. But then you get to Nico, and you talk about four total touchdowns for the Tennessee freshman quarterback. Really kind of coming into the game, this was his first start, and it was only announced just about a week, maybe even less than a week before that, when Joe Milton kind of opts out for the uh, for the Citrus Bowl as he continues to prepare for the NFL draft. Ryan, like you mentioned, I, I agree with you. You know, the two interviews that I've done since the end of the Citrus Bowl, that's kind of where I've led with. I said, hey, look, I know everybody wants to talk about Nico, and we will get into that first, but I want to talk about the defense as well. But... What are your thoughts on just kind of the way that number eight played, what he was able to do? Again, four total touchdowns on the day, three rushing touchdowns, one passing touchdown. Both of his passing touchdowns this season both went to McAllen Castles, yeah. uh, the tight end, so you could tell that he's got a little bit of comfortability there. Uh, but what did you think of just kind of his overall play in the game? Well, I think he was just as a whole, he was really solid. I think that's what stands out the most. And 
I said it before the game that you know everybody's going to want to see the spectacular from him because he was such a highly rated recruit and he's clearly a really talented quarterback. And you know we did get to see that a little bit, mainly with the the play he made in the two minute drill uh, when he kind of scrambled out to the right and threw just a, a beautiful back shoulder ball to Ramel Keaton. But for the sake of the Citrus Bowl and you know game playing against Iowa, it was going to be more important just to be like steady and solid yeah. and not make a lot of mistakes and. That's really what he did. I can't really think of any time that he put the ball in harm's way. Now he took a couple, a couple. You know, took seven sacks in total. Now a lot of those, you know, bad offensive line play. A couple of them, you know, what I kind of call Hendon Hooker sacks, where he did a good job of scrambling, and you know, he lost a yard or two where it's a sack. But you know, so many Joe Milton sacks this year, he lost six or seven yards and just killed the drive. Those sacks don't kill drives. Now he did have the one, you know, maybe just a play or two after the Ramel Keaton. Back shoulder turn, two minute drill. We took a bad sack in, in that instance. But besides that, he was just really solid. And uh, you know, one thing I thought was with Milton this year, we saw so much less of those comeback routes uh, or kind of deep curl routes to Tennessee. You know, it's a staple of Josh Heupel offense. We saw it a right. ton with Hendon Hooker. I thought we saw a lot more of those in, in this game with Nico Yamaliava. I thought he was just comfortable on time with the football. And, you know, I've said all year that, you know, I don't really know what Tennessee has in Nico Iamaliava because I don't, we don't really get to watch the practice. We get to, and when we do, we get to see him throw routes on air or maybe some goal line one-on-ones with no pass rush. The one thing I felt really confident that he was better than Joe Milton or where it would be an upgrade was his pocket presence, his ability to, you know, get out of the pocket, extend plays, make throws on the run. And we did just see – we saw a lot of that. And the offensive line was, at least from a pass protection standpoint, was not very good in that game. Uh, he, I thought, did a really good job of extending things, making throws on the run. Some like I just talked about those Hinden Hooker, Hinden Hooker sacks, um, and, and so that was solid. And you know, I think maybe the thing that surprised me the most was just how much they used him as a designed runner. Yeah, I, I think we knew that he could scramble. We knew he could do that stuff. But you know, the QB draw, the quarterback power. Uh, there was a handful of times it just felt like they used him in quarterback designed run situations that. You know, I didn't necessarily think would be a big part of his game, at least in his first career start. Not that he couldn't, you know, grow into that long term, um, but you know, certainly a positive sign is that just is going to add another development or a, another little wrinkle in Tennessee's offense. It's going to be tough for defenses to guard moving forward. Yeah, those first two touchdowns both were designed yep. quarterback runs, and I, I, I'm totally right there with you. I think that that was really important to get done. Um, but yeah, you know, one of the other things that I really thought was just one of the things that really fascinated me coming out of that game was I at least felt like Tennessee was kind of working back with tempo, right? Yeah, Under no, that's Nico. True And too. that was one of the big things that you could see right away is that things were coming very, very fast. I've talked about this in the podcast before, but, you know, one of Iowa's defensive players were, were sort of in that postgame media conference, uh, and, and he said very quickly into it, hey, Tennessee's offense is challenging to guard. But it's especially challenging when they're running a play every 10 to 15 seconds. You could tell that they were a little bit more on their heels. You could tell that that tempo, that's obviously what Josh Heupel wants to play with. That's what Hendon Hooker was so good at back in that really record-setting 2022 season. I thought Tennessee didn't have as much of the tempo working with Joe Milton this season. A lot of that's kind of pre-snap assessment, pre-snap focus, kind of things like that. But you could tell pretty quickly that the tempo was going to be back uh, with Nico Iamaliava, and I think that's that's a very encouraging sign for a Tennessee offense heading into next season. It definitely is. And, you know, I think there's certainly a, I don't know, debate or at least in my head of like, I'm not doing a very good job of explaining this, but <laughs> Tennessee's now, this is their third year with Josh Heupel playing these SEC teams and, you know, 
six of them, seven of them, seven of the eight SEC games they played are teams they've played all three of those years. So I think there's an element also of those teams are pretty adjusted to Tennessee's tempo. And now sure. don't get me wrong, I think Tennessee wanted to play faster than they did this season, and I think they will play faster next year. But there's an element of those teams have seen it, they're going to be more equipped to it, the players have gone against it, uh, you're not going to catch them off guard as much. Now when Tennessee plays these teams out of conference, North Carolina State will be an important one early next season that haven't seen that. I think where, that's where you can really see Tennessee's tempo give teams a lot of issues. And you can see Tennessee jump out to big early leads in games just by you know, killing teams and putting them on, you know, kind of on their heels right from the jump. And certainly if there was any team you'd be able to do that to, it's Iowa. Because yeah. not that Iowa's defense isn't good, but it's the fact that they play in the Big Ten West and they play you know, nothing, no offense. I mean, I guess Nebraska would be – is a spread offense, and I think Wisconsin's running that now too with Luke Fickle. But it's still nothing from the speed and the caliber of athletes that Tennessee has. So uh, that element wasn't necessarily something that was super shocking, and I think it'll be really interesting to see where that fine line is of how much quicker Tennessee goes next year and how much more success they can have with tempo in SEC play. And to that point, though, with the new expanded SEC, they'll play – Oklahoma, Mississippi State, Arkansas. Those are three teams I can think of just off the off the jump, and they probably already only three teams that Tennessee has not played with Josh Heupel. Uh, so they'll kind of have the same way to maybe catch them off guard. Jeff Lubby is also Mississippi State's new head coach is from that coaching tree too. So they, all that will just to me will be really fascinating to watch next Yeah, season. absolutely. And, I mean, again, you just kind of go back to what was successful and where it was successful back in that 2022 season, and a lot of it was because Tennessee had that up-tempo offense. They were able to keep opposing teams on their heels. The fact that they did have a quarterback that could stretch the field mobily uh, and be able to make those decisions to get out of the pocket and be able to take off downfield just as another added versatile element to his game. I think that some of those things that you saw, or some of those things you saw a little bit, maybe a hint of in the bowl game. We'll see how Tennessee expands on that throughout the offseason, but certainly some some big conversations right there. But I think I think it's easy to say that a lot of Tennessee fans left that game very, very positive. You've seen it on Twitter in the immediate aftermath. You've seen it on, on social media all week. People are really excited now about what this team can be next year. Uh, and again, especially with looking at both James Pierce Jr. and Nico Imaliava, both game-changing players on both sides of the ball, the two most talked-about yep. names that will be this offseason for Tennessee. Uh, and so I think a lot of those, I think a lot of people just left this game, left this kind of bowl season really fired up heading towards next, uh, next season. Certainly, yeah. I think you have to be in Obviously, those two guys played really or played really well in the game, and uh, you know James Pierce will probably be a preseason All-American. Certainly, will be preseason first team All-SEC. Nico, I wrote about this morning. Nico Yamaliavas has tied for the fifth best Heisman odds to open uh, the year, which obviously some of that's you know buzz related uh, more than anything. But all that will be really interesting, and uh, will make for you know a lot of excitement this off season and. Um, a lot of buzz around the Tennessee football program that they maybe lost some of during the regular season. What do you think is just kind of on the to-do list for, for Tennessee football, maybe in the short term of the offseason, maybe in the long term of the offseason? Is there anything that's just kind of been rattling around your head, some of the things that, that maybe should get done or at least maybe things on a potential to-do list? We don't know, but things on a potential to-do list. Well, it, you know, it starts now with what had happened yesterday, which was Gerald Mincy, uh, re, or I guess entering the transfer portal. Uh, he'd previously announced it. He was going to come back for his, I guess, what would be his redshirt senior season. He was a redshirt junior this year. Um, but that was before what we talked about earlier when it was related to Ole Miss, uh, the court ruling that, you know, people can transfer multiple times and the NCAA can't keep them, can't force them to sit out, uh, essentially. And 
And that, you know, Gerald Mincy, who transferred to Tennessee from Florida, headed to the 2022 season before he hadn't graduated. So he really didn't have an option. It was to go pro or to come back. So now he has that choice. And Tennessee needs to go get an offensive tackle, if not multiple, in the transfer portal because what they have on the roster, you know, John Campbell will start at left tackle. Behind that, it's, you know, probably Dane Davis, who he was a senior, hasn't announced what he's doing next year. Um, he's one of four Tennessee seniors who has eligibility left, scholarship players, I should say, that has not announced whether they will come back for another season or not. So that will be worth watching. But either way, I don't think Dane Davis is a solid guy to have as a backup offensive tackle. I don't think Tennessee wants him to be their starter going into the season. So to me, that's priority number one. Uh, priority number two is to get better receiver play. Um, as good as you know, Nico was in that game, still Tennessee's receiver play wasn't great around him. Um, I, I don't necessarily think you're going to see them go add a bunch of more guys in the portal. Obviously, they've already gotten Chris Brazel, Brazil. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name. The guy from <laughs> yeah. from Tulane who had a big uh, redshirt yeah. sophomore, or excuse me, redshirt freshman season. Um, but it's about him making a difference, and it's about the guys that Tennessee is bringing back, which includes Brew McCoy. More news from this week. Um, it's about those guys stepping up and getting better um, because, you know, I, I think certainly Nico played better in the bowl game than Joe Milton had played most of the season. But that was not the only problem with Tennessee's offense, and you saw it. The pass protection in that game was not very good. You had some drop passes. You had Ramel Keaton, who really had a, a forgettable season losing a deep ball in the air that you know could have been a long touchdown early in the second half so those I think at least from the offensive side of the ball are the things that I look at and uh you know this year where Tennessee you know Tennessee defense wasn't perfect but the gap for where Tennessee wants to be at was on the offensive side of the ball so those are the kind of the things that I look at first is how does the offense get back to running like it did Heupel's first two seasons right uh certainly quarterback plays a big part of that but they got to be better around him uh, than they were around Joe Milton this season. Yeah, I think you can you can play up against a team with a good secondary, or you can play up against a team with a good defensive line. But you know, sometimes when you're not taking advantage of a a, a situation in the secondary when you should, or when your offensive line is letting up some some things in kind of pass protection like that, forcing your quarterback to work out of the pocket a little bit more than they would like to, that's ultimately just shooting yourself in the foot. And I think that where Tennessee is right now is need to eliminate those kind of future mistakes next year and you do that early on during the offseason by just getting guys familiar with each other going out there and acquiring new players better players getting guys on the same page before fall camp starts because again I think what people are looking at this as hey Tennessee's offense has a really good shot to kind of get back to where they were in that breakout year but some of the things that are going to slow them down and you saw kind of uh, a little bit of a trickle of it in the Citrus Bowl is you know the the self and the self inflicted mistakes right the, the drop passes the uh the the less than appealing pass protection at, at times so i think you, you try to get some of those things cleaned up so that your offense eventually can operate at the highest potential that you want it to be coming up for the 2024 season certainly and you know one of those things all year was penalties especially on the offensive side yeah, of the ball and there weren't many of them you know i mentioned it out in that first drive of the game before jackson ross's you know one bad punt they showed up but after that they really didn't show up so i think that was an encouraging sign um, I think that's a big part of it defensively. You know, I think it's how you improve is largely continuing to develop a lot of young guys and then just trying to find answers in secondary. It's going to be a lot of new faces. You know, I 
those two things kind of go hand in hand, developing the young guys, especially at corner. I think Tennessee has some talented guys there. They bring in Oregon State transfer Jermon McCoy that will be a true sophomore, another young guy that you got to continue to develop, which I think is one of the most exciting things about him and really a number of Tennessee's transfers that they brought in is that they are young guys and they have a lot of – they're not just coming in for one year and they'll be gone after that. So – uh, that's a big part of it, and you know, just kind of trying to find answers really at safety. Where, man, it, it's not there's not a ton to like when you look at what Tennessee's got on the roster for safety wise going into next season. So uh, it's finding out a lot of those things. But uh, again, I would point more to the offense. I think the defense is just in some ways going to be capped with how good they can be in the system. And obviously, you work to get better there. You get more talented guys. You improve. There's some things to like, especially about the defensive line. I think Tennessee's defensive line will be even better next year than it's been the last two years. Um, but, again, it's Tennessee getting back to what they want to be is more about the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think early projections for defense, this is not going to be any sort of, of lockdown secondary, no. especially at the beginning. But I do think that you know where they will have an identity potentially and where they're at least maybe set up the best to have an, have an identity on the defensive side of the ball is getting after the quarterback. And, again, you, you lead with a guy like James Pierce Jr. Maybe a guy like Josh Josephs continue to develop along. You have maybe a guy like Caleb Herring in the mix right there. So I do think that if they're going to have any sort of identity, it's going to be a defensive line and a group of, a group of rushers that you know are going to try to get after the quarterback as quickly and as much as possible, and we'll see how that factors in. Uh, but that's a long way away, you know, and that's a, there's a whole offseason to kind of figure out what Tennessee's defensive presence is going to look like, what their scheme's going to look like, just sort of the players that they have in the mix. But speaking of the players, right, we've mentioned a couple of these already, but a couple of stories coming out this week. Gerald Mincy does announce that he is hitting the transfer portal. Mincy will have one more season of eligibility remaining. He started 7 of 13 games this past season, made an appearance in every game uh, for Tennessee during the 2023 year. I guess he had been with Tennessee for two years, is that correct? Yes, 2022 season and 23. There you go. So uh, he was a guy who previously spent his uh, true freshman and then redshirt freshman seasons at the University of Florida. So that's a guy who heads back into the transfer portal. We, we mentioned it a second ago, Tennessee does not have a ton of offensive line depth, especially at the tackle position. Going to be extremely fascinating to see who fills in right there because Gerald Mincy was one of the guys that was starting right there in that tackle spot, uh, who, who was a guy who had the capability of starting at the tackle spot, even though he didn't just about half the year. Some other things going on right there. So that was a big one. But on a positive note, Tennessee gets wide receiver Brew McCoy back. That's a huge one to, do, to help with Nico Iamaliava's development. And they're going to have to get those receivers on the same page. You, you got a guy like Chris Brazel coming in, uh, you know, Squirrel White, Brew McCoy, Dante Thornton, guys that, that are, are familiar with the system at least somewhat uh, at minimum right there. But getting all those guys on the same page is going to be important. But certainly just the, the, the addition or I guess the return of Brew McCoy, a veteran guy who knows the offense, who understands the offense, who has a role, who's extremely good blocking wide receiver. Those are all going to be really important things to kind of just get Nico that first month of work under his belt so he can continue to, you know, develop as the starting quarterback of Tennessee on a consistent basis. The other ones, Gabe Judy Lolly officially declares for the NFL draft, so he is headed out. We kind of knew or at least expected that that one was going to happen. And then, of course, uh, the last one that we did write about yesterday, but it was no surprise or anything, D. Williams did declare for the NFL draft. He did not have any more years of eligibility remaining. Uh, so again, that one wasn't the most too surprising, but just about a, a quartet of, uh, of Tennessee news and, and sort of development notes going forward from this past week. Yeah, Mincy was the only one that was, you know, any sort of surprise or upset with that. You know, it seemed like all those things were, were leading in that direction. Gabe Judy Lolly is obviously lost. I think he's a guy that, you know, you kind of always go back at the end of a year and you examine 
how the transfer portal additions went in that past year. And he's one that, you know, not that he was a perfect player or just a fantastic player, but when you looked at what do you think Tennessee's getting here, you couldn't have asked for much more. He was a really solid starter, um, a good locker room guy, a, a guy that played. Again, you didn't. no one really thought he was elite from what we'd seen in his college football career. You just wanted a guy that could come in and be a reliable, solid player. That's exactly what he was. So uh, a guy Tennessee could have used to have back uh, because of all that lack of depth in the secondary we discussed. But they will go try to find – or he'll go on to pursue his professional career. And then Brew McCoy, yeah, it's a big one. I think you hit you know all the most important things there. He's just – a reliable guy. Nico Yamaliyev talked about it last week before the bowl game, how he was kind of recruiting him to come back. They need some veteran leadership in that offensive locker room. They lose a lot of guys there. And it's a guy that makes you feel pretty good about locking down one spot and being just a sure-handed, steady player. I still think we talked about it, you know, between yeah, the did. bowl game we and did. the regular season. Of you need a true number one. You need a go-to guy. I don't think Bruce McCoy is necessarily that. But at the same time, he's just a good guy to have back because you know what you're going to get out of him. He's a solid guy. He's a reliable, sure-handed receiver. Uh, you mentioned that he's great in run blocking and also in the screen game. You know, he can yeah. propel a lot of things on those quick little passes to the perimeter. That's a, a big part of Tennessee's offense. Yeah, so. when you when you talk about having Brazel and White, you got to imagine that there are going to be plenty of sort of those wide yeah. receiver screens, just like there have been the last couple of years. But Bruin Coy makes a big difference in that spot, even if it's just for a couple more yards here and there on each play. Those yards start to add up, and uh, then you get to, to Tennessee's running game. And Dylan Sampson certainly had a had a really strong game against Iowa in the Citrus Bowl. He tops 100 yards without a major, major breakaway. I think he had a long of about 31. But then Cameron Selden showed you a, a couple of impressive flashes throughout the game. Uh, you can tell that. I mean, he's he's a big boy, six foot two, yeah. 227 pounds. It'll be pounds. a good change of pace, too. Absolutely. What Dylan Sampson brings to the table. Absolutely. So that's sort of a wrap-up on our – or uh, sort of a collection of football news notes and, and sort of covered right there but any other final uh wrap-up thoughts on the football side of things that we hadn't got to mention yet no i think that's about all i have from the football side of things yeah i think it is too and again we're still waiting on a on an announcement from javante spragans about what his plans for the 2024 year are uh but that's another big one and i think maybe the final uh big piece from from tennessee's roster that we're looking at uh, who yeah, else? final big one you're right that's a good point to bring up spragans which it sounds like he'll be back but we haven't heard anything for sure dane davis mentioned earlier uh jackson lampley again another guy it seems like he'll be back he didn't go through senior day festivities which was the same thing as spragans i guess really the other real big one would be elijah simmons a senior who has eligibility left hasn't announced and then omar norman lot was a junior so he doesn't quite fall into that range, but he did go through senior day festivities. <laughs> so another guy to watch for. And, you know, look, we might not necessarily even get official announcements from those guys. Yeah. Um, Tennessee's classes start back, I believe, on January 22nd. Yeah, that's when the spring semester starts. So we'll know for sure then on who's back on campus, and that'll kind of tell us. Um, we may get a few announcements be- between that time, but uh, we may have to wait there for especially some of those guys. I got especially see like Davis and Lampley yeah. kind of being. And that makes sense. And, and Simmons, too. He, Simmons has always seemed like a very low-key guy. So uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens uh, on that on that front. But those are kind of the other roster pieces of guys that are on the team that we don't know for sure what they're doing. Yeah, so again, uh, make sure to stay tuned into Rocky Top Insider as we continue to cover, cover who is staying, who is leaving, and everything in between. Uh, but that is a, a pretty good wrap-up on football. I'd imagine we'll come back next week, maybe share some more thoughts, uh, just kind of on everything going down as we continue to really make our way into the new year, right? And one of the things that the new year brings is the basketball season. Now, the basketball season has been here, of course, but it brings the SEC slate. Ryan, let's let, before we get into the SEC talk, though, 
let's kind of go back and look at these 13 non-conference games from a really a 30,000-foot view standpoint. Tennessee 10-3, and heading into the SEC game against Ole Miss this Saturday night. Those three losses all came within one stretch, and really it was kind of a quick stretch. Tennessee lost two straight games in the Maui Invitational Tournament against then number one Purdue and then number two Kansas. Maybe that's flipped. I can't remember, but they played the number one and two teams in the nation at the time in Purdue and Kansas, and then they got back to Knoxville, immediately had to go back on the road to Chapel Hill, take on what was a what was a hot North Carolina team at the time. So Tennessee has three losses right there all in a row, but everything else has been a win, including a win on the road, or excuse me, a win at a neutral site against North Carolina State, a win at home against top 20 Illinois when they had uh, Shannon, uh, help me on blanking here, Shannon Terry? <laughs> Terrence Shannon. Terrence Shannon. Shannon Terry <laughs> is in our media world. Works for oh, that's two, right. That's sports, right. I think. That's right. I don't, you don't hear many, you know, there's not too many Shannons out there, so... Uh, especially when they have sort of the same initials. Yeah, Terrence Shannon, Terrence Shannon, Shannon. Terry. So, yeah. uh, for the record, Illinois had Terrence Shannon at the time, and I think maybe that helps Tennessee's case when you're just talking about it in a podcast like this. But just kind of what are your overall thoughts about where this team is right now? Again, 10-3 and three through 13 games. All three of those losses came during one sort of stretch right there, and two of them came on the road against the number one and two team in the country at a neutral site in Maui. Uh, so, overall thoughts? Yeah, when I... Maybe you said this and I just missed it. Went at number 21, Wisconsin as well. Oh, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I missed that I mean, one. that game was forever ago. That game was the day before Tennessee played Missouri in football to put a little <laughs> perspective on right. how long ago that we was. we were all on the road. Yeah, second game of the season. But, no, I mean, I think there's a good bit to like about where Tennessee's at. Um, I think there's not necessarily a ton of surprises. You know, one thing you know, I wrote about some takeaways and, and questions heading into SEC play I wrote on – I guess was yesterday, which yesterday was Thursday. So Guy Ziegler, to me, seems like he's back to being the guy that he was. And in those games, at least the two games, well, he played pretty good against North Carolina, but those two games, Tennessee lost in Maui, and then the game they won against Syracuse in Maui, he did not play well in those games at all. So uh, it's been good for Tennessee to get him back playing at the level he was last season. That's huge for Tennessee just that because he's really the one true point guard on the roster. So he's been good. Uh, Trying to find some consistency from the big man Jonas Du, who played well for a while, has kind of struggled the last few games out. Credit to Tobey Walker, who's picked up and played well in those games too. Hey, let me ask you this real quick. And and so we got back from Orlando on Tuesday. It was a it was a massive. It was like a twelve hour uh, travel day where you had to go uh, to Charlotte and then to Knoxville. Blah blah blah. We were up at four o'clock in the morning. So I didn't get to watch a ton of that game against Norfolk State at basketball. You were here covering it live and in person. Did Jonas Adu start? I don't believe yeah, he did. No, he did okay, start. He, did start. he got pulled with less than a minute into the game. But okay, he did, well, he maybe, start. maybe I would just missed the first yeah. minute and didn't see him out there. Is he still just kind of dealing with an illness? Where's What's kind of the, the status of Jonas Adu as we had an SEC play? Yeah, so he was sick before a North Carolina State game. He didn't practice the day before that game. And then Rick Barnes said he suffered some sort of injury in practice after the team got back from Christmas. I want to say ankle – I'll look it back up and see what Rick Barnes said and, and come back to it later in the podcast just so we have the right information. Some sort of minor injury that had kept him out of practice uh, kind of between Christmas and between uh, the Norfolk State game. So uh, obviously it's not super serious. He was able to play in it. 
Um, Barnes said today when we talked to him that he was back at practice yesterday doing some stuff, and we'll see. We'll get to. We're recording this between the time we talked to Rick Barnes and the time between the time Tennessee starts practice today. So we'll, <laughs> we'll have an idea of how much he gets to practice today with our own two eyes. Uh, so we'll see there. Um, that will be one to watch. And you know, Rick Barnes talked about the importance for Edu of being at practice and how much that matters for him and his development to be ready. So that's something worth watching. Um, but going back to Ziegler, you know, he. Like I said, it was really struggled in the Maui Invitational. Seven games since then, he's averaging 11.7 points, shooting 43% from the field, 41% from three-point range, 5.9 assists to just 1.6 turnovers a game, and 2.3 still. So he's been really good. I think one of the big questions is what Tennessee gets from Dalton Connect. Through nine games in the season, he was super consistent. And yes. you knew what he was going to give you to varying degrees, but the, the floor was really high of what he was going to give you offensively every night. Then the three games before Christmas, he really struggled. He totaled 15 points in those three games. It was really bad. Well, he was really bad in North Carolina State games. Some of the other games, I'm not sure I'd say he's really bad. But he didn't score at the same level that he'd been scoring. Barnes and some people talked about, you know, the ankle injury he suffered against North Carolina being part of the reason. The 12-day break was certainly good for, I think, everybody on the Tennessee team. Connect maybe chief amongst them. And then he came back against Norfolk State the other night, and I thought played Played well. He had 15 points just in 22 minutes, uh, four rebounds, four assists, so he was solid. Can he get back to what he was earlier in the season? I think it's a big question for Tennessee. And then maybe the last thing I have, we talked a lot in the offseason and the preseason, what's this rotation going to look like? There's a lot of guys involved. Tennessee has a lot of depth. I think it's kind of figured itself out. This is going to be eight-man rotation, night in, night in, night out. You know, eight guys being Kai Ziegler, Santiago Vescovi, Dalton Connect, Josiah Jordan-James, Jonas Adu, Tobe Iwaka, Jemai Meshack, Jordan Ganey. Those eight are going to play every night probably 12-plus minutes. Besides Tobe Iwaka, probably 15-plus minutes. And then the freshmen, you know, J.P. Estrella, probably the most likely candidate, but also Cade Phillips, Freddie DeLeon, Kim Carr, maybe on any given night might go in and play 5-10 to 10 minutes. Um, but those guys' playing time isn't going to be super consistent. So I think we have an idea entering SEC play. Rick Barnes has an idea of what this rotation is going to look like um, and you know, maybe specific matchups, foul trouble, specific games call for something else and maybe some of those freshmen coming in off the bench and playing a couple minutes. But it's really eight guys that are going to be steady and you know we're going to be playing double-digit minutes every night. Yeah, and the statistics exactly back up what you're saying just through the first 13 games of the season. The eight guys that you talked about being a, a specific and a definitive rotational piece – all those guys are averaging at minimum 13.3 minutes per game. Tobey Iwaka is sort of the caboose on that list at 13.3. Uh, Jemai Meshack, one above him at 17.5. And then you get to Jordan Ganey, and that's 21.0. So I definitely think that you can tell those guys are going to stay in that double-digit uh, minute range. And then right below him is where you get to your freshmen, your backup players. Uh, and those guys are all about sub-eight minutes per game. So I think these statistics exactly match up with what you're saying right there. Uh, and you hit a lot of the nails right there on the head just in succession talking about the 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 development and sort of the transitional period that Sakai Ziegler has had as he continues to really find his feet back uh he, he finds his role in the court he, he continues to do that I think that's been impressive and then the guy that I just keep coming back to is Josiah Jordan-James. He's, he's given Tennessee their most minutes on average per game. He's averaging the second most points just behind Dalton Connect. Uh, he, he's leading Tennessee in rebounding rebounds per game. He's shooting a whopping 39.6 uh, 
percent from three-point line, which is first on Tennessee's team among rotational players. He, he's been tremendous this year, and I think that when you talk about, man, a team like Ole Miss that's coming in, right, a, yeah. a top 25-ranked team, Tennessee's got to defend home court. I think this is when you especially look to a guy like Josiah Jordan-James and you say, hey, we need you to connect these pieces, but we need you to be the versatile defensive player that you have been. Obviously, his offense really coming along lately, but just such a glue guy in the middle, especially this season. He had that whole offseason where he was healthy to get ready for it. This is what it leads up to, right? This yeah. is where all of these stats kind of from the non-conference play, what's impressed you, uh, you know, everything like that, it all comes together for this moment right here when Tennessee starts the conference slate. I believe J.P. Estrella talked about it earlier today, just about an hour or so ago. He talked about, hey, you know, we kind of look at this as, you know, maybe not preseason, but the season before the season is yeah. non-conference play. But once SEC play starts, that's your season. That's what everything has been built for. So uh, I, I'm really excited to see just kind of how Josiah Jordan-James continues the work that he's put in throughout the non-conference slate. Uh, and again, he's been really impressive throughout. So they're going to need him coming up on Saturday. They're going to need him in these big games. They're going to need him on the road games as a guy who's been there, done that, is experienced and is healthy right now, which I think that final point might be the most important part of his game and his season right now. Yeah, certainly. He's been really good. And you hit now on the head. Just what he's done from a versatility standpoint, it's been by far his best year offensively. Still a little bit of inconsistencies game to game. And, you know, I think that's why connecting consistent is so important because Tennessee's got a lot of guys that can beat you offensively. Not a ton of those guys besides him, I think, you can really count on every game to be double-digit consistent scorers. So that's a big one. Two other things I'd touch on. You mentioned Tobey walk at 13 minutes per game. You know, really I think he's been playing – more than that, one as of late. And also, you know, he had the game in Maui against Syracuse ah, right. where he got injured yeah. a minute in. So you got yeah. one game that kind of throws off. Uh, a little bit of an outlier. Yeah, and the Purdue game, which was the same thing for Jonas do too, where he probably played, fouled out in like 12 minutes of play just because trying to deal with Zach Eady. So yeah. all that stuff, uh, you know, maybe makes it a little misleading. He's probably playing a little bit more than that. But I, I still think your point's accurate. He is, of those eight guys, the one that's playing the least amount of minutes. And then uh, just to follow up on Jonas do a strained calf is what Rick Barnes said the first okay. night uh, that the team had gotten back after Christmas break. So that's uh, kind of where he's at from a health standpoint. And obviously getting him back to playing like he was for an extended stretch, you know, really the first nine, ten games of the season will be uh, important for Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, again, just – you know, you go back to the stats, like you said, that, you know, those things will, will be in flux throughout the season. Things are going to take ups, downs. Obviously, injuries are going to come into play. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're very right in the fact that Tennessee does have their eight, you know, that are going to be rotational pieces. You're right. That was we actually sat right here for a Tennessee basketball preview. We're sort of in the bowels of Thompson Bowling Arena right now, so as we record this, but this is exactly where we sat for our Tennessee basketball preview, and yeah. that was one of the big questions that we had, right, is what is this rotation going to look like? Who's kind of going to step up in a certain minutes and roles? And I think like we talked about and like you talked about a second ago, we sort of figured out who are going to be the pieces to uh, to play every game, sort of what is that going to look like? Who's going to be coming off the bench? What do the freshmen need to do to find some minutes? I think all that kind of works together as we continue to go through this Tennessee season. Game number 14 coming up this Saturday night right here in Knoxville, 6 o'clock p.m. Central Time on SEC Network against Chris Beard and the 22nd ranked Ole Miss Rebels. It's going to be a good one, but we've actually talked about Ole Miss. I think it was off air a little while ago. Maybe it was on air. Actually, I think it, I think it was. I think we've had both conversations. Yeah, because we were saying that, especially in the Ken Palm rankings, Ole Miss has not necessarily played the the caliber of opponents that Tennessee has played this year. Maybe that gives Tennessee a little bit of an extra edge coming up when they host the Rebels in Knoxville. Certainly, yeah. It's just one that's a glaring difference between how 
obviously the record Ole Miss has, the way the voters and the eight people, because of that record, view them. I mean, what, they're one of, I think, three undefeated teams still in, in college, or at least in Division One college basketball. They're 82nd in Ken Palm currently. Ten, or Ken Palm has Tennessee as 14-point favorites in that game. So the schedule has been pretty easy. They beat North Carolina State at home. They beat Memphis at home, which was Memphis' really good win. They won at UCF. That was a good win. Yeah, Memphis Besides is. that, not a ton of very good wins. A, a lot of lesser opponents. Cal, uh, who they beat in San Antonio right before Tennessee beat North Carolina State. Um, so it's going to be interesting. You know, I think the truth probably falls somewhere in the middle with Ole Miss as, as to how good they are. I think they're probably better uh, than 82nd or whatever I just said. Ken Palm has them ranked um, 89th. Yeah, 82nd uh, is what Ken Palm has them ranked. They're probably a little bit better than that. Probably not 22nd best team in the country. Probably a little misleading yeah. uh, because of the schedule they've played. Uh, but certainly a team that is you know vastly improved from last season. And you can just see that Chris Beard is going to have this Ole Miss program being really solid yeah. and right in the NCAA tournament race. You know, Just about every season he's there, you'd expect. And again, Ole Miss 13-0 on the season, so Tennessee looking to hand the Rebels and Chris Beard their first loss of the, uh, of the year, of the season, of whatever you want to say. It, it all kind of works. Uh, it all kind of works together. So you have number 13, or excuse me, number 22 Ole Miss 13-0 on the season, taking on number 5 Tennessee 10-3 on the season, uh, coming up this Saturday in Knoxville at 6 o'clock p.m. on the SEC Network. Ryan, we've hit a lot of ground here so far today. A little bit of football, a little bit of basketball. Is there anything that we might have missed that's still rattling around in your head over there? I don't really I, think so. I think so. we've pretty much hit everything. Yeah. That's it, kind of a nice little, hey, we're back. It's been, you know, break. There's been a lot of time in between. Yep. We're just kind of get, getting everything set up. A few, uh, few final takeaways from the football season, but just sort of getting everything back set up as we go forward into the weeks. And, of course, we'll be back next week as well to, to continue a lot of this conversation. Yeah, certainly, and you know, SEC play, it'll, it'll just be really exciting. Deep league this year, and I think a lot of teams are going to make the NCAA tournament. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like at the top. Uh, you know, I think Tennessee, Kentucky, Auburn would probably be my three uh, three best teams um, entering conference play. So should be a lot of fun, and obviously we'll have a, a long time to talk about it these next two months. Yeah, no doubt about it. So that right there, that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for today. We will be back for the Saturday game against Ole Miss that we've been talking about, and of course we will be back next week as well as we continue to break down Tennessee athletics and just everything that everything that's going on around it. Basketball, football, baseball, whatever you want, we will have it. A lot of transfer portal stuff going around. A lot of football final conversations to be had before the true offseason starts. So we will have it all to you over on RockyTopInsider.com. We will also keep you updated on the RTI Press Pass podcast as we go through the month of January. But hey, welcome to 2024. Thank you for hanging out with the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. As we go into this year, it's going to be a big year for Rocky Top Insider. And we can't wait for you to be along for every bit of the road. For Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. You can go and find us on social media at Rocky Top Insider on all platforms. You can go and find Ryan at rshump00. You can go and find myself at Rick underscore Butler. But again, for Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast, and we'll see you back for the next one.